Welcome into this Wednesday edition of the Blanket Coverage Podcast. Today is episode 313, and um, the playoffs rankings came out yesterday. And as the episode title suggests, we have uh, qualms, to say the least, um, as, as per always. But I am joined by my co-host, Jack Wallace, and off the top, Jack's Atlanta Braves won the World Series yesterday. Now, I am not going to rain on his parade uh, as I was trolling him on Twitter earlier. Uh, I am not going to rain on his parade now. Uh, I will keep my baseball comments to myself. And Jack, I've got the timer up. You've got two minutes. Take your victory lap. Well, I wanted to say that this was absolutely wonderful. Now, this was also, just to put on this point, this was the highest weekly ratings for a World Series in at least two or three seasons. It went up way a lot from last year, which is very good. It actually had a 35% jump, so there's 13.6 million viewers. So just wanted to say, people were watching this, people were caring about it, but of course they were because it was America's team, the Atlanta Braves playing against the Houston Astros, uh, second S in there in case you forget. So... This was a fantastic series. George Soler winning the World Series MVP, getting three home runs throughout it, batting over 300, and, of course, getting the three-run bomb that was hit so hard it went all the way outside of Minute Maid Park, which is beautiful to see last night. 7 nothing victory, clinch game seven. And you know what? I saw it coming because in this game, Max Fried, our ace southpaw, just like Tom Glavin back in 1995 when the Braves won it in six, when the Braves were up 3-1, lost game five, had a chance to clinch in game six. Tom Glavin, the ace southpaw, had a stud regular season and ended up getting nearly a perfect game, one one to nothing. Braves won the World Series. Freed won seven to nothing, six scoreless outs, un- or six scoreless innings, sorry, uh, over six strikeouts in the game. I mean, he played out of his absolute mind in this, a perfect, perfect game from Freed, who really, really struggled throughout game two. And really struggled throughout most of the playoffs, but had a really stellar game that clinched the Braves the title. It's the first major, major league title we've had since 95. The first any kind of title since the 2018 Atlanta United MLS Cup. But I'm just absolutely thrilled. It really was an unbelievable experience to go through that. If any of you haven't read Jeff Basson's article on what happened with the Braves and their sort of story on how they won the World Series, uh, Braves were 44 and 44 at the All-Star break. They were 50, I think it was 51 and 53 at the trade deadline, which was July 30th. July 30th, the Braves had a losing record, and they ended up winning the World Series. They had a 0.3% chance to win it all on, um, I think it was on July 1st or July 30th, somewhere in July. It was a 0.3% chance to win it all. And we're third in the division, ended up winning it and going all the way. The Braves were only 88 wins to win it all. And last point I'll make here, last point I'll make here, only two teams in the history of baseball, all of baseball, have had a losing record at the All-Star break and have won the World Series. And that was the 1964 Cardinals and the 2021 Atlanta Braves. So pretty unbelievable. Out of all the teams to have a crazy comeback season and turn it all around, especially after our best player Acuna was injured for the year, I would never have thought it would have been Atlanta. But we, we did it. We won. We beat L.A. We beat Houston. Best team in baseball. And I frankly can't believe it. So... Uh, basically what all of this translates to is that if Georgia ends up winning the national title this year, I think I may be okay. 
as angry as I would, as rent free as I am, I would I would be all right with that with one of my other teams actually winning. Well, congratulations to you, congratulations to the Braves, and congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers who spent all that money uh, to get uh, beaten in the NLDS or the NLCS. So no NL pennant, no NL West, no World Series, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> congratulations. <sighs> congratulations. Well, speaking of congratulations, uh, we have some people to congratulate this week um, on making the college football playoff rankings. And we have uh, some people who were honestly really, really disrespected. And by people, I mean teams. Uh, we have some teams that were very, very disrespected in these rankings. Um, and obviously I think the biggest problem with the rankings throughout the year has been like the consistency of the logic. Um, but the college football playoff committee this year almost just kind of stopped pretending that they use all these like individual metrics and all these, you know, analytics and stuff like that. They stopped pretending because they weren't doing any of that. They stopped Ugh. credit to them first off before we absolutely obliterate everything that they said. Can credit to the college football playoff committee for basically just saying, we think this team is better than this team. And we think all of the power five conferences are better than all of the group of five conferences to the point where group of five wins mean basically nothing. Um, yeah. And there's a larger conversation to be had uh, about the group of five and about group of five win and about the group of five wins, you know, as a whole, because it's going to disincentivize the power five teams from playing group of five schools in the future, like a Notre Dame Cincinnati, because if you lose to a group of five team, which this doesn't really make sense in the context of Notre Dame and Mississippi State. But if you lose to a group of five team, uh, it's going to mean more than beating a bad power five team. Uh, but Mississippi State has three top 25 wins in addition to their three losses. Uh, and sorry, three top 25 wins out of their five wins in addition to their three losses. Uh, they made the rankings at number 17. Uh, Minnesota, there's, there's one reason that Minnesota's in the rankings and that's to give Ohio state a top 25 win, uh, because Minnesota lost to Bowling Green, which mind you, they were over 30 point favorites with, it was one of the largest upsets of the decade. Yes. In terms of point spread. It's going to disincentivize these power five teams from playing group of five teams in the future, because if you can just play power five teams every week, they're going to give you way more credit than they would for beating any of these group of five teams. And the fact that UTSA is not ranked because they don't have a power five win yet. Minnesota who lost to Bowling Green is ranked. Um, but they're ranked 20th. Like they're they're not yeah, even. It's, it's not like they're the last <laughs> team in the in the you know, and Pitt, who lost to Miami over the weekend, is sitting at number twenty five. I don't think Pitt should be in these rankings. It, 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 
these do- it doesn't make any sense and we haven't even gotten to the top 10 but i kind of want to start it i kind of just wanted to start um at the bottom of the top 25 and work our way up uh yeah we kind of move through these rankings because obviously the most controversy is going to come in the top six but i think there's plenty of controversy in the bottom half and if we actually i made a list of this and i put up the uh, i know you can't see a visual of this but we're going to talk about it but looking at the college football rankings we had i then put lists of the ap ranking next to them to compare the ap to the college football playoff ranking and then i noticed the ap ranking Oh, no, no, of course not. I'm saying that as a logical person, unlike them, I'm, I'm putting them next to each other. So with the AP poll, there were six teams in the AP poll that were not in this poll at all. Six teams that were out of it. Number 16, UTSA, unranked. Number 20, Houston, unranked. Number 21, Coastal Carolina, unranked. Number 22, Penn State, unranked. Number 23, SMU, unranked. And then number 24, Louisiana Lafayette, unranked ranked so pretty um pretty interesting how all those are unranked again utsa uh going undefeated for nothing because again as we know if you would go undefeated it doesn't mean anything which brings up an argument because i do think that there is a little bit of grain of salt that has to happen with this because i know that wake forest is also undefeated but do we think that wake forest is deserving of a top 10 spot well i would say probably not because i watched them on the field almost lose to syracuse and they didn't look as good as people say they are but then you see notre dame oklahoma state baylor auburn a&m are those teams deserving of a top 10 spot right now it's and i think this sort of goes to the point where i think so much of this season we're just seeing a lot of mediocre teams and not a lot of really good teams step up to the plate and really get it done and yeah after you get past your top 6 or 7 it falls off and yeah do i think oklahoma is better than wake forest obviously i don't think there's any reason at all right now to put oklahoma below wake forest and i think the college football playoff committee has that right oklahoma should be ahead of wake there we go but I've also looked at strength of schedule, too, because I know strength of schedule matters a lot for this thing. And people were talking about and ragging about Cincinnati. But if you look at Cincinnati here, their strength of schedule is number 43 in the country, which is not very good. But you want to know how many Power 5 programs come below them when it comes to strength of schedule? The answer is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of them do. Virginia, Virginia Tech, Maryland, Rutgers, uh Oregon State, Boise State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, USC, Cal, Georgia Tech, Washington State, Washington, Arizona State. I can go on. There's a lot more. So it's it just sort of blows my mind how these teams are this low. Now, I do get that some of the strength of schedule do come into play. Like, for example, SMU is 74th and Houston is 75th. But Fresno State is 73rd. Fresno State is ranked 23rd in the polls. Where is SMU and where is Houston? Unranked. Where does that make any sense then? You're having two teams that, mind you, the only reason I bring this up is because Southern Methodist, they're 7-1. Houston, 7-1. Fresno State, 7-2. Now, is anyone on planet Earth going to argue that right now the Mountain West Conference is overall better than the American Conference? No. Are they horrible? No. There's some decent teams in there. I know Fresno State's decent. Nevada's decent. But are we seriously... And San Diego State. But are we seriously going to sit here and say that 7-2 and two, Fresno State is better than SMU or Houston? Well, let, 
at this and I game, get it's a lower argument. I get it's a lower argument with lower teams that aren't as big of a deal. But like that makes no sense to me. I don't get that at all. I think the committee and and I I'm almost just done trying to get into the committee's head. They're a oh this goodness. is all going to change. It's all going to shift. It's all setting up for Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. But it's oh, fun to talk. One more one more note on this, just because I I found this too, just to finish my point off. San Diego State, who's 24th in the rankings, their strength of schedule, 90, 90th. So strength of schedule means nothing. <laughs> yeah, and they 90th, have 20 yeah. spots lower. I think a good oh. measure for this is a strength is not strength of schedule necessarily, but strength of record. So if we go by strength of record, which accounts, uh, you know, how strong your wins are and how strong your losses are. Cincinnati is still higher than Ohio State, and by a fair amount, they are. Let's see, Cincinnati is actually sixth in strength of record, uh, sitting behind Wake. But I mean, they have pretty similar. They're basically just accounting Power Five. They're they're ninety eight and one hundredth in terms of strength of schedule, uh, is what I'm trying to say. And to actually to add to your point, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame. Uh, Wake Forest, Oklahoma, Michigan, and Cincinnati all have higher strength of records than Oregon. And all of those teams I mentioned are either undefeated or one loss like Oregon. And you are absolutely <laughs> correct. I mean, who Oregon lost to Stanford? <laughs> but you look at the strength of schedule, and Oregon's at 22. Meanwhile, all these teams, with the exception of Alabama, which how Alabama has the 13th-ranked strength of schedule is beyond me because they don't play anyone. <laughs> let's stop, Let's uh, just get into the top six. Let's get into the top six okay. right here. Screw, screw Michigan. They're not going to do anything this year. This is basically just inflating Jim Harbaugh's ego and probably giving him another four-year extension. Um, but let's talk about Alabama. Because this is the committee, and Alabama's ranked second. I guess we should go through the top six. It's Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, uh, Oregon, and then and we haven't even gotten to Oklahoma yet, uh, and then Ohio State and Cincinnati at five and six. Oklahoma, that's, that was just funny. That was we can all agree. Too. We can all agree, first of all, Georgia at one is fine. That's the only one here we can just go ahead and put, put away. Took, took that I'm one, fine took that with Michigan side. State at two. Okay. I mean, at three, Michigan. I'm fine with Michigan State at three. I think Michigan State is safe to say they've earned that because strength the record is number two in the country. You just beat a Michigan team in a really close, solid game. I get it was at home, but that was that was your big test of the season and you passed. And yeah, if you look at the rest of Michigan State's schedule, it's really not hard at all. Like, I mean, it's and this is just to roll it down: Northwestern, Youngstown State, Miami, Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Indiana. That's pretty pretty awful. But Michigan made up for that, so that's why Michigan was the key that they needed to win. Because then you play at Purdue. That's not a completely easy game. I mean, it's not that hard, but it's not a throwaway game. Then you have Maryland. That maybe not that hard. And then you have at Ohio State and then Penn State. If you can get. I mean, if you can win, if you can lose one time, I think one loss is okay. You'd have to lose to Penn State or Ohio State, but I, I don't know. It, the Michigan State, if you can get down there, I definitely I mean, obviously, if Michigan State runs the table, they're no question number two. But I think with what they've done right now, again, I know I harp on the record, but 
That, but the, see, that's what I don't understand is that you talk about strength of record. They're number two in the country. Every team that I just listed before Michigan, are you going to tell me that Northwestern, Youngstown State, Miami, Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Indiana, those are all horrible teams, if not mediocre. So I get Michigan makes up for it. Again, I'm not trying to hate on Michigan State at all, but it just, I, I just, it's hard to me to be convinced that these teams are just these Goliaths. And, and I do think that Michigan well, State deserves the, a top four spot, but I think you could argue number four as well. Because again, Michigan's the only good win. Yeah, well, that is that is the common. Um, I mean, Oregon has the best win. That that's without a yes. doubt. Oregon has yes. the best win. That's why they're in the top four. We can argue if they should be in the top four, but they are in the top four because they have the single best win. And the committee this year, uh, at least in the first, you know, however many nine weeks, um, is prioritizing big wins and rewarding uh, losses to good teams. And their wins are better than Michigan State's. Right. Because not just but, that, but the Oregon also, that Fresno State win is still aging well. Fresno State, as I mentioned, in the, the rankings. About the, so that the still thing counts. about the strength of record metric is that um, it, 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 it factors in your record, obviously. So all the undefeated teams are going to be ahead of the six and one team. And then it basically ranks you by ranking at that point, except for the fact Alabama is number two on FPI right now, interestingly enough. So the football power index says Alabama is the second best team because they've beaten Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Um, And Mississippi State is basically just ranked so that they can give Alabama credit for beating another ranked team and kicking the crap out of them. And so that they can boost Texas A&M after losing to Mississippi State to give Alabama credit for losing to A&M. And I mean, you can go galaxy brain conspiracy theory shit on this all day long. But the bottom line is that they go, and I honestly think they just make their top six and then just kind of insert everyone accordingly in order to justify their top six ranking um the biggest thing about this and i think first off the first rankings never matter if you remember back to 2017 tcu was in the top four of the uh of the initial rankings uh mississippi state was the first ever college football playoff ranking number one so if you're gonna, you know, what you got to remember is these rankings are very much liquid and will 110% change in about five weeks. Not to mention that these are just entirely made up by a group of old men who run athletic programs. They're fake. See, and it's and like, actually, it's like the banking system, it's not actually <laughs> real, it's just an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I, I would love to have the Noah banking system hour. <laughs> That's what we need on here. Oh yeah. Noah, yeah, Noah, Noah breaking down the systems of society that we yeah, live in. I was a I was a business <laughs> minor. Just wait till I go True. Finance, yeah. just wait till I go finance brain on you. I uh, I actually wanted to bring this up when you talked about things not meaning anything ahead of time. Listen to this. And this is this will make you laugh pretty hard. So this was as early as you can get. Week 10 of 2014. 
college football playoff rankings. The first ones ever to come out. Here's your, t- here's your top. You know, we'll do we'll do the whole top. Uh, actually, we'll do top fifteen just because it'll make you really laugh doing top fifteen. Mississippi State's in hilarious. There. Hilarious. In there. Number one, Mississippi State. Yeah. Number two, Florida State. Three, <laughs> Auburn. Four, Ole Miss. Five, Oregon. Six, Alabama. Seven, TCU. Eight, Michigan State. Nine, Kansas State. 10, Notre Dame, 11, Georgia, 12, Arizona, 13, Baylor, 14, Arizona State, and then 15, our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhusters. <laughs> wow. What a wild year. Clemson was at 21. East Carolina was 23, and Duke Ohio was Ohio State wasn't even Duke ranked. Duke was ranked. They? Duke was 6-1. Where was Ohio uh, State? 16, they're right after. Oklahoma yeah, was Oklahoma was 18th up, with two losses. And they ended and Ohio State ended up winning the Natty. All of this means nothing. Goes to show you that when not only you're ranked low, but you also have every advantage in the world, then it makes it a little easier for you. Also, this Georgia the, Tech wasn't ranked, they end up being 12th. So there you go. But. The sham. It's all a ratings ploy, and we are the suckers. Like we are the suckers uh that they are going after with releasing these bullshit rankings week after week. So bad. I hate it so much. I hate it. Terrible. I I have so many qualms. I mean, just Uh, looking up and down, obviously my biggest problem is with Mississippi State and Minnesota. Uh, I think North Carolina State is purely in there to bump up Mississippi State so that they can bump up Texas A&M so that they can bump up Alabama. I mean, when I talk about all the Galaxy brand stuff that's going on here – like, they, they, I, I seriously think they do it. I seriously. Oh, no, no, I don't. I really, I, I laugh only out of the absurdity of it, but I, I really don't doubt you. I think it is real, but um, I think it's, it's like four level. It's like four teams deep at some point. This team to bump up this team to bump up this team so that we can justify this team. I, I am um, all of the teams in the country. I do not think Alabama is the second best team in the country, to be quite honest with you. I think that honor goes to Ohio State based off having watched them play all year. Um, I think Alabama is a nice third, but I just think it speaks to the absurdity of this college football season in general that we look at everyone else and go, okay, it's Alabama and Georgia and everyone else, which is the narrative that we had before the Texas A&M game, we said, are Alabama and Georgia just going to skate to the playoffs? And they still might do it. Well, now if you finished up that section, we can go on and just mention real quick the odds for the college football playoffs because obviously they have been shifted a little bit. But with these odds, we got Georgia again leading the way with 79%, Alabama at 54 OU at 46, despite being number eight. Ohio State at 41. Cincinnati at 31, fat chance. Then Oregon at 29. Michigan State at 25, which, of course, only 25% chance, even though they're number three. Uh, Oklahoma State, 16% chance, which, I mean, I I will eat my shoe if Oklahoma State makes the playoffs. Uh, Michigan at 13%. And then Wake Forest at 13%, which I'll eat both shoes if Wake Forest makes the playoffs. So it's – I mean, these teams are just – they're not going to make it. But – but good for you for playing along. So, um, and and hang on, hang on. Before we go, out of these odds, out of the top 10, these are the top 10 teams with odds to make the playoffs. 
out of these odds, what is the oddest college football playoff that you can realistically think of knowing that Georgia is going to make it? The oddest situation? The oddest college football playoff. That's possible. Um, and I have an answer. I mean, theoretically, Georgia making it, you could have, let's say by some miracle, Michigan State wins out, which then they obviously make it, and they'd be a two. Um, Oregon wins out, and Oklahoma State wins out, which would be interesting, but then Oregon would get in and not Oklahoma State. And then since he wins out, they get number five. And uh, actually, you, you could have Georgia, Michigan State, Oregon, Oklahoma State. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely think, bonkers. I think all of the oddest, uh, all of the oddest playoff rankings uh, contain some form of uh, Wake or Oki State. Um, but it's I mean, just, just out of no these way. four, just out of these four, with UGA being a given, I would actually go UGA, Cincinnati. Uh, They're not making the two. There's no way they won't give them the two seed. It's just impossible. No, they even won't. on the weirdest I, year, this they, they cannot do that. Okay, so let's they go inability. Georgia, Michigan State. Wake Forest and Cincinnati. Michigan State Wake Forest <laughs> semifinals. <laughs> the winner gets to get eviscerated by if you Wake Forest, Georgia would be 45 to nothing. Wake Forest, Georgia might be 45 nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and i and again, I have seen Wake play. I've seen this team play live. I was on the sidelines and watched this team. They were truly hard on Georgia. I I don't get it. I don't freaking get it. And I uh I can tell you this though. Wake Forest's defense can't stop anything because if you let Syracuse put up over 30 on you. And I get that obviously Sean Tucker is built different, which we are gonna get to him later, but it's um, it's pretty ridiculous. But we actually can get over to that right now. We can move right on to our winners and our losers. And we got some fun ones this week. We're going to make this part a little shorter, obviously, because we led with a pretty solid chunk of opening. We're already almost at 30 minutes. So this won't be as long. We're going to be cutting this down. But I uh, just wanted to talk about some of this before we move on to our picks to close because, obviously, no more poll updates given that we now are working on the dreaded college football playoff call. So. Starting things off, a segment that I'm fortunately spending a short time on, the dog defense. I don't like talking positively about Georgia, as you know on here, uh, as you probably painfully know because I talk about it at ad nauseum. But I, I, it's just gotten ridiculous at this point. We're all aware that Georgia defense is clearly the best in football. There's not really a debate anymore to that. But it's gotten to a point where it's kind of unbelievable how good this defense is. Now, I get they played a Florida team that isn't exactly Florida from last year, to be fair. I mean, losing Trask, losing Pitts. I mean, this this team is very, very gutted from what they had last season. It's very, very fair. The defense I mean, it wasn't, is still like, good. They, they'll always have DBs at Florida. And that's true. Florida's defense has still produced some solid games here. Now, they've been pretty useless the last two games. I won't lie to you. <laughs> Letting uh, LSU put up 49 and then Georgia 34. Uh, these defense in Florida has not been very good the last couple games. But before then, 
they actually look pretty nice. Florida had a pretty decent season before these last two weeks, and now it's pretty much all over at four and four. But yeah, the cocktail party ended up being just a cocktail for one. Uh, Georgia ended up winning thirty-four to seven. Um, it was an Emory Jones touchdown was basically the only dent that Florida brought, brought into this. But yeah, before basically the last two minutes of the second quarter, it was actually looking pretty close. It was only three to nothing um, with a, with two and a half minutes to go in the half. Florida actually doing a great job in the first half defensively until the offense screwed them. And then Georgia had a touchdown in six seconds, a touchdown in eight seconds, and a touchdown in a minute and a half, which is a pick six. So there you go. <laughs> Florida's Florida uh, offense basically clapped in on itself. It was absolutely horrible. Yes, I give a lot of that credit to Georgia's defense, but Florida's offense also looked very, very miserable. And yeah, this overall was a pretty simple win for Georgia, which everyone expected it to be. Um, Stetson Bennett was actually pretty poor in this game. He was not very good for Georgia at all. Um, it seems very weird we're getting a Georgia team that's this dominant with not a dominant quarterback whatsoever, like at all. And JT Daniels hasn't even been playing. Yeah, so Daniels hadn't played. Bennett was 161 yards and a touchdown and two picks. I know we always talk about how good Georgia's been, but it's been very nothing on quarterback, and that's because their quarterback sucked. But when you have a really good run game and a really good defense, like prime Georgia is, is a really good run game and a really good defense. I mean, if you're only going to score six points a game on them, all you have to do is just collapse into the end zone a couple times and you win. And that's basically been Georgia's game plan because the yard total of this game, Florida outgained Georgia by one. A single yard, and they had 355, 354. This game was so tight on the stat sheet. Each team got three turnovers, but one of them is a pick six. And I mean, it's it was that kind of game. Georgia did not play well offensively, but again, the defense set them up extremely well, made it very easy for them to score. I mean, their scoring drives, they only actually, Georgia only had one scoring drive that was over three plays. Yeah, one scoring drive over three plays, and that scoring drive was a field goal, couldn't even get in the end zone. And the only other ones was a one-play 11-yard run, a one-play 36-yard pass, a pick six, and a two-play 42-yard touchdown run. That's all they did. It was big plays, big defense, and I have to shout out Georgia for getting that done. Well, I mean, for, for anyone who plays Georgia this year, this was really the best shot for someone to get them before the SEC championship because they didn't put up any points in the first quarter. And then Florida just got absolutely jumped in the second quarter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just a terrific performance from the dogs. It, I feel like a broken record at this point. Uh, we don't need to hammer home how good the dogs defense is anymore. It's becoming pretty apparent um, every single week. In fact, I may maybe uh maybe trying to go uh to knoxville to see uh the georgia bulldogs play the tennessee volunteers so we'll see uh see where the hype the hype will hype uh is really at uh in a couple weeks here uh, and i may be in attendance in neyland stadium for that one um my winner of the week, my first winner, would be Graham Mertz for finally beating a ranked team. Uh, oh, Graham God. <laughs> Graham Mertz, mind you, uh, was – I forget what his exact record was, but he was if – the, if the opposite of undefeated is defeated, he was defeated against every ranked team uh, that he had played. And for that reason, I was betting the hell out of Iowa this weekend mm-hmm. – 
was really trying to count on them to deliver on the uh, principal play of Graham Mertz does not beat ranked teams. Uh, side note, Graham Mertz is actually undefeated against unranked teams. <laughs> um, so that tells you where Graham Mertz is at. Huh. Uh, now, Graham Mertz did not play well in this game. Um, his team won. He did not play well. He was 11 for 22 for 104 yards. And we know how good this Iowa uh, defense has been all year. Um, they, they really haven't given up high point totals, even though they lost to Purdue and Wisconsin. But 27, I mean, that's not a terrible line to give up to Wisconsin, but it was the fact that Iowa turned the ball over three times uh, on three lost fumbles, and Spencer Petrus could, did absolutely nothing. Uh, and speaking of absolutely nothing, the Iowa run game also did absolutely nothing. And by nothing, I mean 24 yards on 30 attempts. Iowa just isn't good. <laughs> we told you Iowa I mean, was fraudulent. I know, I know we, 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 talk, we both talked. We've been about talking weeks, about this for a weeks, while. And for it, it was proven painfully Iowa correct. Iowa fraudulent. It, we saw it against Purdue, and then we saw it against Wisconsin when a team was able to control the ball a little bit, um, put up a few points on this defense. They can basically just sit back and wait for Spencer Petras uh, to give them the ball uh, because Iowa's had a turnover problem all year. And for the most part, they've been able to run it on some of these teams uh, that we're going to say, hey, will Ben not break at the end? Uh, Wisconsin has one of the top run defenses in the country and said, uh-uh, we're not putting up with that shit. You can give the ball to P Spencer Petras. Uh, we are going to stop the run. We're going to make you throw the football. And this is what happens when Iowa has to throw the football. Uh, they lose ball games, and they are uh, one more bad performance away from being out of the college football playoff rankings entirely after winning a top five game at home, uh, a top five game at home, and achieving the number two ranking in uh in the AP poll and then choking the next week. So uh, congratulations to Graham Mertz for your first ever win over a ranked team. And it was against a really fraudulent Iowa team. Hey, but it counts. It still counts. And that's it something. Still counts. It's not a principal pick when I bet anymore. It's not like, Oh, good. Graham Mertz ranked team. Can't pick them. They were favored in that game. Yeah. It's, it's good for him. It was a good win. My next winner up here is one that I've already done as a winner a few weeks ago, but I wanted to bring back here because it needed to be done, and that is Sean44Tucker. And if the name number 44 doesn't mean much to you, well, 44 is probably the most famous number in all of Syracuse athletics. It is usually a number, usually, given to the best running back throughout the team. Uh, no coincidence that Syracuse went into this game at four and four. And then Sean Tucker, who was the nation's leading rusher, actually got his title away because Kenneth Walker III from Michigan State, that we'll get to later, said, you know what, I'm going to rush for 100, I think it was 196 yards against Michigan, which is nuts. And Sean said, okay, that's cool. I'm going to rush for over 200 
And I get it was against Boston College. I know that's not exactly the biggest test ever. But still, Sean Tucker is ridiculous at football. He is one of the best running backs in the country. I've been saying it for weeks, and it's still holding pretty strong. Uh, Tucker is now at 207 yards in this game, career high for him. He had his seventh straight 100-yard rushing game, which is a school record, which is frankly ridiculous considering how many amazing running backs Syracuse has had throughout all of its history. And if he only gets 105 more yards, he actually ties Joe Morris for Syracuse's all-time rushing record in a single season. And he's a redshirt freshman. He's so young, and he's doing all of this stuff so early in his career, which is absolutely nuts. So this is truly incredible. Again, Syracuse was projected to win, like, maybe two games, maybe, like, two. And right now this was their fifth win. So the Orange have had an actually much better season than expected. It's it's ended up being a good year. And, again, like I've been saying all season, those four losses, three out of the four, were really dumb, really close losses. Syracuse is probably the better team, in, including the Wake Forest game. So this Syracuse team can go toe-to-toe with a lot of teams around the country. I get Boston College is not that great of a team, but Syracuse beat them pretty easily after a rough first half, but an incredible end to it. Um, really, actually kind of nuts. But it was actually uh, just three minutes of football. Three minutes of football. Syracuse had a two rushing touchdowns of over 40 yards. And thank you for the graphic, yes. Two rushing touchdowns for over 40 yards. And then a punt return touchdown. Our first special team score at home, um, I think, since the Albany game. Uh, I don't even know if we scored uh, special teams in the Albany game. But really incredible performance from them. Really love to see it. If any of you want to see my pictures from that, I'll plug this in here. I shot pictures once again for the game. So if you want to go to um, uh, Syracuse on SI, uh, so it's a sports center page for our sports uh, illustrated page for Syracuse. Uh, you can check out all my shots there. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I'll actually be traveling to Louisville next week to shoot the Louisville Syracuse game in Kentucky. So I'll be there next week and get some shots in there too. So one to shout out, Sean, he needs to have the number 44. I have no idea why he hasn't yet. He is very obviously going to be an all time running back for this team already has made his name and Got to get a shout-out here. Very big for Sean Tucker. This Syracuse team can really hang with people. Absolutely. And shout-out to Dino Babers, who we knew we knew he could cover as an underdog. Syracuse gets counted out a lot. Dino Babers, no problem. Good teams. You want to know, know how many teams in the country are better right now than Syracuse at covering? None. None. I'm not even kidding. They're better than UTSA, better than Georgia. Nobody else has done better at covering than Syracuse. Dino Babers <laughs> always covers. Um, always. Eight and one. Dino Babers should get serious consideration, and, I, and I'm not kidding. Dino Babers should get serious consideration um, as the next head coach of Penn State when James Franklin jumps ship, whenever that is. Um, the, the Northeast connection up there, uh, he's a great coach. He always covers. I mean, if you always cover – Here's the thing. Your team can lose. He still made some pretty boneheaded decisions, though. That's the only problem. There's been some pretty boneheaded stuff that's going on in this last while. And so I no, well, I, but I, it's also Syracuse football. Like you have Sean Tucker, but you can't Sean Tucker alone in a 22 man sport is not going to get you no, I know, I know. over the hump. Especially when our quarterback was we had Tommy DeVito, who was supposed to be the next Eric Dungey and then did nothing. And we brought in Eric Schrader, who isn't bad, but like – Oh, so he, he just, was he the next runs. Eric Dungy. Okay, Syracuse is good in 2018. They actually – we get credit for that. 2018 was a legitimately good season. So that's the thing. He was supposed to be like an actually really good player and then did absolutely nothing in the transfer. 
And then Schrader is not bad, but it's just very clear that he's like the grad school guy from Mississippi State that's coming in to plug a hole. So he's not bad, but he clearly can't really pass the ball. And he's also not healthy. Um, he clearly was – someone was up with his arm in that game. He was injured at the end of the Virginia Tech game. So I just uh, just wanted to shout that out. So, yeah, want to plug in a little bit of Syracuse because we're actually kind of relevant this year. We're not one in ten again, so <laughs> Syracuse is actually winning some games and is seriously could be bowl eligible, which is nuts to think about. That Syracuse can be back to a bowl game, but um, go Orange! Um, absolutely. Well, my second winner um it goes hand in hand with your first loser, so that'll be a good segue there. But Kenneth Walker the third, have yourself a day, my man. Went for five touchdowns against Michigan. Um, this is a big win for the Spartans and for Mel Tucker because you remember Mark D'Antonio left this team in about January uh, and they lost a ton of recruits. Uh, they were looking like a program that was really, really going to tank uh, or, or at least take a giant step back. And then Mel Tucker comes in and look what happens. Mel Tucker has got this team on a roll. They get in Kenneth Walker from uh, from Wake Forest as a transfer. And side note, imagine Wake Forest right now with Kenneth Walker. Um, but that's beside the point because Kenneth Walker is in the Big Ten, and they won a big game in the Big Ten this week. The main reason that Kenneth Walker is my winner for this week, not just because he scored five touchdowns um, in in a really exciting Michigan State-Michigan game that I didn't actually get to watch, um, but from the looks of it, watching the highlights, I mean, it looked like just an old-fashioned Big Ten football, but there was a lot less defense and a lot more rushing success uh, than we'd be used to. But Michigan State was actually able uh, able to pull this one out. Um, and Kenneth Walker III is now second in Heisman odds. He is sitting at plus 375. Bryce Young is sitting at first. And I don't know. I, I don't know. But what has Bryce Young done this year to deserve the Heisman? He is not the best player in college football. It's not even, it's not even a question. Bryce Young does not deserve the Heisman. It would be the most boring Heisman winner yeah. of all time. He is not an exciting player to watch. Alabama is not really that exciting of a football team to watch compared to uh, other Alabama teams where they were just crawling with like first-round talent on offense. I mean, you think back to even two years ago with Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, um, Devontae Smith, uh, the the other dude the, the the Raiders guy we won't mention him. Subject for today, we're not going to get into that's that. That's NFL one. news anyway. That's an NFL podcast. Thing. Yeah, we'll we'll, that, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, that's we're not going to get to that one today. Um, but if you look at this Alabama offense, it is one of the least uh, least explosive, in my opinion, Alabama offenses. Uh, in a while. And if you're going to give this award to anyone off of an Alabama offense, it's going to be uh, Brian Robinson, in my opinion. But K- 
Kenneth Walker should win this award at this point. It, it should be his award to lose, not looking at the odds based on just what I've seen, uh, based on media narrative, um, and based on the fact that he is probably more important to his team than any other player in the nation right now. No, I think that's a good point, too. I, I think that ties in well. I mean, Michigan State's obviously blowing up. That's going to increase any kind of odds of win anything. And I think that's what the final call could end up being. I think he's definitely going to be finalist if he continues playing like this. And actually, um, going to go in the losers, I know you said that was a good transition for me as well. I know we talked about running back to running back, but now let's talk about Michigan State to Michigan. And we have another tradition that we have kept up, and that is Jim Harbour losing in big games because we've made jokes about this for two years now. Two years, and it still happens. It keeps happening. It is unavoidable. It is inevitable. Gold Jimmy is going to keep losing these games. Every time Michigan plays some kind of big-tier, big-time game, they just choke it, and I don't understand why. I don't know what's going on, but Michigan just can't win a big game. They can't. I don't understand it. It's coaching. It, it, and I don't mean to steal your thunder for this loser here, but it's coaching. At the end of the day, when you can't get a quarterback in the and you get all of these five-star recruits, everybody wants to come play for you, and you can't find an explosive offense um, that can compete with the Ohio States of the world, even when Ohio State doesn't have a great defense – this is modern football. You can't just rely on the run game. You can't just be a one-dimensional team, even though Georgia is trying to test that theory drastically. Michigan doesn't have an all-time great defense. And so I understand that Jim Harbaugh likes to run the ball, play defense, and play a pro-style offense, but that's just not the way football is played anymore. Even at Ohio State, that's not the way football is played that's not the way football is played at a program like Alabama. That's not the way football is played anymore at any of the major schools except for really Georgia at this point. All of them have some explosive element to their game and that Michigan just hasn't had for Jim Harbaugh's entire tenure there. Um, and I don't know what needs to change exactly but at some point, it's got to come from the top, and they have to embrace 21st century football. Well, and here's the biggest note on that. Michigan is, uh, well, at least Jim, is 3-4 and four against Sparty, 0-5 oh against Ohio State, 1-4 and four in bowl games. It's just like, <laughs> you, you can't keep doing that and expect to do anything competent. It's just, it's... It's really kind of pathetic. I, I don't really know what to do anymore at this point. It's it's I, and it just wasn't a really even like sad the game. offense necessarily struggled. I mean, Michigan was known for their run defense, and their run defense decided not to show up to play. Yep. I mean, it, that's a that's a tough task going up against Kenneth Walker. And credit to Michigan because they did play hard. And they prove that they probably are a top 10 team if Michigan State is indeed a top 10 team. Uh, but I, I don't wanna, feel um, any better about Michigan State's ability to beat Ohio State. I mean, Michigan's ability to beat Ohio State based on the performance that they had. I also wanted to add to that, um, just as a, a special a special little, little nugget, a little note. 
Um, Because I wanted to add in an additional kind of like half loser here, just uh, like a little little honorable mention before we move on to the next one. Honorable mention loser is the Conference USA. And the reason why the Conference USA gets an additional loser spot this week is because reports are linking the Conference USA to getting both Liberty and New Mexico State and also talking to UConn and UMass. So Liberty, which is known for pick as much as you want for off-the-field issues, you can add them to Liberty. UMass, which is the epitome of agony and pain in football. UConn, which is the epitome of agony and pain in life. And then New Mexico State, which is just West Coast UConn. And the Conference USA may, might add all four of those teams. So just wanted to note <laughs> that it's very possible that we could see all four of those absolutely disaster programs joining a conference. And I don't know why in the world. I cannot imagine why. Other than purely just being downtrodden enough that you need to add people, why the Conference USA would do this. So just on a very hilarious note, that um that may happen to, to have it. So yeah, UConn uh loses sorry, um UMass beats UConn, snaps 16 game losing streak, and then loses 53 to 9 at Florida State and 62 to 17 at Liberty. So <laughs> just saying, uh this is frankly hilarious. I just want to give a special shout out to that loser. You think they've extended a bid to uh Power Five hopeful SMU? Power I'm sorry, Power Five reject SMU. Yeah, please get that right. Power Five re- SMU could go undefeated and they still wouldn't get a Power Five bitch. Yeah, no. Not after uh, the Pony Express. Uh great, great by the way. Um, and speaking of uh the DFW Metroplex, um TCU lost a legend this week. Um, I have mixed feelings. And, and when I say lost a legend, he, he didn't die. He, he's still alive. He's just not. Exactly. He's TCU football anymore. But Gary Patterson um, is officially out as the TCU head coach. Um, and after reading multiple stories and multiple comments about why AD, JD, and Vibo uh, would not have the balls to fire Gary Patterson. Lo and behold, they fired Gary Patterson. Um, this is a loaded, loaded uh, event in time. Uh, first, because we really get to see, you know, how desirable is TCU as a football program. Because uh, we hadn't had to worry about that for 20 years. We haven't had to worry about that for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, literally, Gary's been the coach since Jack and since right after Jack and I were born. Um, he's and been the already coach out of PCU <laughs> for our entire lives, way before I knew what a TCU was or what a horned frog was. Or um, anything. <laughs> And it's a complicated situation because, yes, Gary Patterson is the reason that TCU has the kind of expectations. Um, Gary Patterson is the reason that Gary Patterson got fired in a roundabout way. Yep. And, And in more ways than one. One, Gary Patterson's the reason Gary Patterson got fired because Gary... Um, is extremely stubborn and kind of a control freak and didn't really like the way that uh, NIL 
and a lot of the uh, rulings on on NCAA rule changes and the transfer portal uh, were making their way uh, into his program. Um, he didn't necessarily, he innovated once. He innovated a lot around the year 2014. And then instead of continuing to in, innovate after uh, Sonny Cumbie's innovations were no longer working, uh, instead of continuing to innovate, he just rehired Doug Meacham, who was the coordinator in 2014. Um, then instead of getting some bright young mind, uh, instead of getting a good quarterback coach to coach up Max Duggan, uh, he hires Kenny Hill um, out of being a grad assistant to being the quarterback's coach. Um, and then he hires Jerry Kill to oversee as offensive head coach. Uh, Jerry Kill hasn't coached college football in a very long time. And again, all of these criticisms, I believe, are fair of Gary Patterson. But the most important reason that Gary Patterson got fired was because Gary Patterson created the expectation and brought TCU football to this place where we would have an expectation that three losing seasons in a row uh, was enough to derail a 21-year uh, tenure as one of the most and I truly believe one of the most successful um, coaches in college football, um, in college football history, uh, and one of the best program building jobs in college football history. I'll reiterate it again. Gary Patterson's success is the reason that Gary Patterson got fired because he created the environment to where what was going on in the TCU football program and the way that he had lost the locker room uh, was unacceptable. Um, and that is really the reason why Gary got fired um, was because of his own expectations that he set for this team. And he of all people should understand why he got fired having set those expectations. Yeah, and, and I do agree with that. I think that it's pretty obvious and pretty fair that this whole situation was a very unfortunate one. I mean, we want – I know we talked a lot about Gary being out. I know I talked personally about it, the call that I made back – I mean, gosh, I think I made this even like a year ago back when TC really was struggling. My no, take we've been talking said, about it for a year. It's been a no, year-long conversation. My big take was that if we don't get Max Duggan to attend, not win, but just go to a Big 12 title game, he's going to be gone. And that was pretty much correct because he never ended up going. We're obviously not going to make it this year. And technically I would figure Max would have at least another season, but ended up being okay. Cause I basically was like, with what I saw with the staff, and these people I was saying after the 2017 season and then in 2018 was a really down year. I feel like a lot of people didn't really care. 2018 was bad because remember every time Patterson would screw up, the next season would be really good for like a decade. Every time that DC was down a year, the next year would be 10 wins every single time. And when 2018 was down, everyone was sort of like, oh, okay, well, 2017 was great. 2019 should be good too because every other time was right because 2016 was down, 2015, 14 were great, 13 was down, go back. I mean, it, it would have been a trend. And then we did nothing in 2019. And then everyone was just sort of like, oh, okay. And then 2020 happens, which of course is the weird COVID year. And then nothing happened there. 
And 2019 was almost worse because 2019 was when we had the West Virginia game at home where West Virginia came into the game with absolutely nothing to play for. And which we talked about this last week when TCU lost West Virginia. We talked about this whole thing last week where TCU was five and six and um, West Virginia was four and seven. So we had a bowl game on the line and we lost the game at home to West Virginia and didn't go to a bowl game. And it was a moment like that was the first moment that I was like, maybe something is not good. Something's seriously wrong versus just kind of, oh, another bad year. And then, of course, 2020 was a letdown. And then this season's been a disaster so far. And it's kind of like the writing was on the wall. I think that it is an absolute – as much as a fact as you can say a fact can be on an opinion. But without a doubt, Gary Patterson is the greatest modern thing to ever happen to TCU. You yeah. can still argue Dutch Meyer was better in terms of total history because he did win national titles. I get it was back in the 30s, but they still count. I mean – I, you can still argue all time is iffy, but in terms of modern football from basically the 60s, 70s onward, there is without a question that TCU was able to go from just another Southwest Conference team into this. And to think that we could extremely easily be in SMU's position, and not saying obviously SMU's good this year, I mean as a program, where SMU is in a tiny stadium in a colossal Dallas market, but in a tiny stadium that nobody cares about, that nobody goes to, and they don't do anything basically every year is nothing. And TCU probably should be that. But the fact that Gary was able to make this program into a basically nothing, not even remotely power five. And when we're talking Mountain West, we're independent conference USA for a bit. Like this team was in the gutters and was able to get us from the level of North Texas to the level of Oklahoma. And to do that in less than basically less than 20 years <clears throat> to make that jump. And then TCU has been in the big 12. And what do we do? Two years Two years into the Big 12, we won the co-Big 12 title with Baylor in 2014. Two years is all it took. And stuff like that is like – that's legendary stuff no matter what team you're going for. So at the end of the day, no matter what about Gary this year or how the team is rightfully and honestly should be criticized as not being a good team, we are not a good football team. But it's still without a doubt that this is an unbelievable loss for TCU as a whole program level. And getting somebody of this caliber for this long with this much consistency to be this good. Because think about how many 10-win seasons TCU had from 1999 until now. It's remarkable. And it's it's more than 10. So it, it that's pretty darn hard to get, um, especially when you're starting with nothing. Because TCU was nothing in the – I mean, for a long while, TCU was nothing. So obviously applaud Gary for all he's done for over the years. It was a blessing to have him. But as you said and as I'm saying – I do still think that it absolutely was the right call to let him go. And I think the TCU is better off for it. And I'm excited for the next chapter. But yeah, I think that's the main spiel on Gary. Yeah. No, and, and and I think it's important to note when we talk about TCU joining the Big 12 and that TCU could easily be an SMU's position. And I realize this is changing uh, by the day as it becomes easier and easier to get into TCU because they're just letting more kids in. But when TCU joined the Big 12, they had less than half of the enrollment as the next biggest school in the Big 12, which was Baylor. Less than half of the undergrad enrollment. Um, and we're still and not still, even 10 years into the Big 12. Not even 10 years. still in. able to compete um, at a high level year in, year out, um, and will be able to compete in the Big 12 at an even higher level considering that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving in the future, which I think, you know, in some ways that makes it worse 
for a coach to come in, but in some ways it also makes it better. Opportunity. It's going to co the conference realignment is going to coincide with the playoff realignment. And you could have a very, very good shot if you're TCU at making the playoff, given the new makeup of the big 12 um, um, once it changes over um, in, in a couple of years. So, so, I think it's going to be really interesting and we'll try to keep you as updated as possible on who the next TCU coach is going to be. Cause this is something that we haven't seen in 21 years. Um, it's very fascinating to us, but Jack, go ahead and give me your winner or your loser number two, and then let's move on to some picks and get out of here. Well, with my loser number two, I mean, there are a couple options to go with. One of them is, uh, and I'll kind of do each one kind of quick, but one of them is just Texas's leads. Um, more just kind of a stat than really any kind of big discussion. But this is the third week in a row that Texas has had a double-digit halftime, or sorry, double-digit second half lead and lost. So, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Texas doing all this big stuff, but UT is four and four. They've lost three in a row. Syracuse has a better record than Texas right now. And I'm aware they play very different teams, but this is pretty embarrassing. And I get these last three games in a row of all but against ranked teams. Iowa State on the road in Ames is going to be hard. I, I, I think really hard, actually. I'm very much leaning heavily Iowa State in that game because it's really hard to win in Ames. We saw that a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, this Texas team is miserable. One to point them out, a 4-4. Four and four. But letting you know how bad the Big 12 is, Texas is 4-4. Four and four. That's fifth in the Big 12. That's half. That's, that's that's halfway through the Big Twelve is four and four. Shows you how terrible this conference is. Which I know we talk a lot about bad conferences, but I mean this is pretty shocking. So um, obviously Texas should handle Kansas. Should should handle Kansas, um, and I would expect them to beat. I mean West Virginia, K State. They'll clearly win one of those. But um, being four and four, this Texas team is smelling a lot like seven and five right now. And I think that uh, at least is my prediction for how they'll end the season. It's been pretty rough goings uh, for Texas, which to me is quite entertaining. But um, I, I just think it's been pretty sad on their part. And uh, my other one, which sort of is, is not too far from that um, in terms of pain for these teams, but this kind of ties into pain or agony Olympics we'll, we'll get to. But um, th this is uh, the ACC Coastal. Just the, the whole division, throw it away, throw it in a trash can. Uh, I know we've made fun of this division, but – uh, they had a truly heinous week. Um, every single opportunity they had, they lost. Every single one, actually. Um, the, the Atlantic wasn't as bad, but Virginia, they played BYU. Virginia was 6-2 and two and 2-1 two and on the road. 66 points for the Cougars, uh, 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Absolutely god-awful. Now, Virginia did score 49, including a 35-point second quarter, um, but still pretty pathetic. Uh, Pittsburgh. One of the few decent teams left in the ACC. And, oh, they lost to Miami um, because, of course, they did. And Miami, weirdly, on a two-game winning streak, but down goes Pitt. Duke remains being terrible. They're 3-5, and 0-4 oh in the ACC, and they lose by a trillion to Wake Forest. North Carolina lets Notre Dame score 44 on them. And even though Sam Howell had actually a pretty respectable day, as well as Kyron Williams getting 199 yards and a score, um, UNC actually had some great stats in this game. But the defense, oh, the defense was so bad. And Notre Dame gets a very easy win. And then lastly, uh, Georgia Tech losing to Virginia Tech. Once again, complete agony. Uh, just why do I bother? Um, the ACC Coastal is terrible. The only ACC Coastal team to win this week at all was uh, was Miami and Virginia Tech, but only because they played 
ACC Coastal teams, and both times they were the road team. So yeah, it was it was just an agonizing week for any and all of the ACC Coastal, besides those two smaller winners. But even then, they both uh, it, it just was. Miami is never a winner this season, so that's just they're just not the worst loser at this right now. But um, pretty sad year for the ACC. Yeah, no, this has been a very very bad year for the <laughs> ACC. Um, my second loser uh, was just the group of five undefeateds, uh, not 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 including UTSA, but uh, SMU. Losing on a kickoff return to Houston with this is in the Agony Olympics. Losing on a kickoff return after they had tied the game up with 35 seconds left in the ball game. Uh, Congratulations to SMU for just being extremely painful to look at. For being them, SMU was did a great job being SMU. Um, and SDSU uh, was pretty pretty bad. To, as well. to quote the Braves mascot after beating the Dodgers, "Money can't buy everything." Yeah, and and S- and for SDSU, uh, they they tripped up this week against Fresno State, who we've seen have a couple good weeks here. I mean, they're a frisky little team. That that they are. that win looks pretty good for Oregon. Uh, if we want to go back to some galaxy I was saying, stuff, I was saying it was. But uh, let me yeah. run down these last few games. If you're if you're done with that, I can go ahead. I am done. All right, so we can go run through these last few games here. Last other ones we have to mention: uh, Oklahoma beats the absolute bejesus out of Texas Tech to bounce to nine and zero. Williams gets six touchdowns in the win because he's pretty good at football. Um, this game was predictable. I don't think there's much to say about it. Texas Tech is terrible. We knew this. Um, oh, and then uh, kind of surprised we haven't really mentioned this game yet, but I guess it actually isn't that much of a surprise given how much we were easily predicting this win. But Ohio State uh, did not have a ton of trouble against Penn State. Now, it wasn't exactly the easiest win in the world. Uh, it was 33-24, so it wasn't a blowout by any means. But it was also a very controlled game. Now, Penn State actually led at the end of the first quarter uh, with a slim lead and made it only a touchdown. Uh, in fact, tied it again with, with about seven minutes to go in the third quarter. But then after that, it was still um, Ohio state. They never looked back. They took the lead and ran with it. Two field goals late in the fourth ended up sealing it up. So this wasn't exactly any kind of runaway train kind of game, but yeah, this was the first time Ohio state played an actual team in a while. They had played Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, Akron, Tulsa, since the um, Oregon loss that's going back in time. So pretty pathetic schedule, but I mean, they won and they won every game really easily and they played really well in all of those games. I mean, they didn't even a slight crack um, unlike Oklahoma. And then the Penn state game was good. Cause then after that you have at Nebraska, you'll win Purdue. You should win should. And then you have Michigan state and then at Michigan back to back. So for Ohio state, yeah, you're probably going to go into those games with one loss and, that does make it pretty difficult for them because, oh boy, if Ohio State had that Oregon win, they would be looking pretty right now. But that's going to be tough for them. But um, yeah, Nittany Lions and Penn State, it is just so sad. They've lost all three big games all in a row, and they still have to play Michigan and Michigan State. And that's the reason why I'm not particularly shocked they're not ranked um, in the in the playoff poll because, again, they've played three good teams, and they're 0-3. All right. Well, let's move on. 
Oh, so I, wanted, I, th- I thought you were going to add a thing about that. I was going to add in that Auburn beat Ole Miss, too. Um, both teams at two losses. Auburn is bowl eligible. But, um, but let's move on to a quick section because I don't ever want to skip it because it's always my favorite section. But let's have a quick session of the Agony Olympics because we got to give out our gold medalists for this week. And our contestants are the Baylor Bears beating out Texas. Explosion in the fourth quarter for the Bears. UT losses loses their third loss when leading by double digits in the second half. Pittsburgh losing to Miami at home with an embarrassing loss. SMU loses on the kickoff return to Houston. San Diego State chokes their season away to Fresno State by 10. Gary Patterson losing 31-12 to against Kansas State, uh, which should have been 31-5. to And then Georgia Tech loses a very bad game to go down to 3-5. and So who is your gold medalist of the week for Agony Olympics? My gold medal is still going to go to SMU because uh, that is just the toughest way to lose a football game. <laughs> like, it's a kickoff. It's a routine play you see a million times a week. That is the toughest oh. way to go out. And to wreck the undefeated season, too. They were supposed to be undefeated going to Cincinnati. God, it's so sad, but also awesome. Um, Agony Olympics here is a tie between Texas, simply because if you lose your third game by leading that much, that's just shocking. And the other um, Agony Olympics gold medal is to everyone else who had a good week of football because college game day has to go to Cincinnati to play um, an absolutely nobody Tulsa which we love it to go to Cincinnati, but they're playing Tulsa. Tulsa. So I don't understand that. Huge game, guys. I don't get that, but shout out to Cincinnati, I guess. So good for you. Again, when SMU is a couple weeks away, now that weekend is also the same weekend as a lot of other much bigger games. So I understand why they may have gone now because Cincinnati deserves something. But um, it's – yeah, I, I love also love the first article you see is disrespecting Cincinnati is the first thing you see when you click on them. But it, uh, we've already talked about that to death. But good entries there for us. Uh, last little note before we get on to our final picks of the week is undefeateds. At 9-0, and you have uh, – oh, I didn't update this. Um, at 9-0, and you have Oklahoma and – Pretty sure that's it. Yeah, 9-0 and yeah. is Oklahoma, the only 9-0 and team in the country. At 8-0, and you have number one, Georgia. Number, well, three now, Michigan State. Uh, number six, Cincinnati. Number nine, Wake Forest. And not somehow ranked. unranked, UTSA. That is still undefeated and still unranked. Yeah, I mean, that that's just, that's atrocious. Um, let's move on to our picks. After last week, uh, I am sitting at 59 and 40. Jack only three games behind at 56. It was a bad week, to 43. be fair. <laughs> not a good week. Yeah, not 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 a great week. Um, our first game of the week there, and again, this slate kind of stinks this week, but our first game of the week will be SMU and Memphis. I've got SMU rebounding pretty hard here. I have them too. Uh, Memphis is a little bit of a, a tempting choice just because Memphis can always get some feisty wins, but they have not looked like that today. They're, no, they're not year. looking like the same Memphis. It's Yeah, it's 4-4, four 1-3 four, in the conference, and you want to know what their record is in their last five games? 
Uh, 0-5. One and four. They beat Navy, four. who is god-awful. So, yeah, this team is pretty bad, and their defense is also very bad. So that's the reason why I'm going to be rolling with SMU here. And our next game is going to be uh, the college game day. Game of the week. <laughs> versus Cincinnati. Uh, I know Cincinnati's had some close calls over the last couple weeks, but I'm not going to pick against them in this. Okay, the reason why to know how sad this is, since he's 8-0, Tulsa's 3-5. and Notre Dame is 7-1, and and Navy is 2-6. and So they're two games closer, and that spread is still basically the same. Cincinnati is 22.5-point favorites. It's honestly kind of disrespectful. Um, Houston's not even favored that much against South Florida. UCF isn't favored by that much against Tulane, who is 1-7. So, yeah, this game is going to be pretty pathetic. I think the playoff, uh, the playoff committee is setting these lines and saying, yeah, this hey, is- all right, you want to make a playoff? Let's see it blow out Tulsa by 22 and a half. Uh, yeah, Tulsa. And now Tulsa actually has had a somewhat difficult schedule. If Actually, if we were talking about this game last week, I wouldn't have been as harsh because they had lost to Oklahoma State by just five, Ohio State on the road, Houston. Those are hard games, honestly. But – and then they won two in a row against Memphis and USF. But then you lose to Navy. And you can't lose to Navy, especially when they uh, choked the game away. They were winning most of the game. So, no, it's Cincinnati by a mile. Uh, next up, we have Oklahoma State against West Virginia. The Pokes and the Mountaineers meeting up in the mountains. And this should be a, uh, I think, pretty entertaining game. Um, the three-and-a-half-point line is actually the closest of any Big 12 game this weekend. Um, and I do think this will be a tight game, but I just don't think West Virginia is a good football team. I don't think they're very good. Uh, they lost to Texas Tech, and I'm sorry if you lose to Tech, you're not good. Now, to be fair, West Virginia has looked pretty good in the last two weeks, beating out down TCU, which I get that's not a huge litmus test, but then also beating Iowa State does mean something, I think. It is at home, though, which helped. But I think Oklahoma State is a much better team than Iowa State. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not crazy confident in seeing an upset here. Yeah, I know Oklahoma State's coming off of the uh, loss to Iowa State. Kind of reeling a little bit at this point. But I think that this playoff ranking is going to give them some fuel. I think they know that Oklahoma is extremely susceptible. I think they want to put themselves in the best possible position when Bedlam arrives uh, for it to be Bedlam as advertised. Um, so I think Oklahoma State's going to get it done. Uh, I think they get it done the rest of the way until they play Oklahoma because that game should be really interesting. Next up, we got Auburn against Texas A&M. And now this one I think could be a whole lot of fun. And this one I am kind of torn on. And I haven't seen before I locked my pick. And actually I haven't seen my the line either of this game. Um, mm, ah, well, Ah, this is tough. So it's Auburn at Texas A&M. Both these teams are six and two. Um, it's A&M is favored by four and a half. They're separated by just one point or one ranking in the playoff poll. They're 13 and 14. So I'm pretty torn on this game. So give me your spiel. Make your argument because I'm, I'm pretty torn here. All right. So this is kind of a principal pick. Um A&M at home in Kyle Field, that's a tough place to play. Bo Nix on the road, not great. A&M 
at home has been really good, except for the Mississippi State game. All of this leads me to believe, uh, and and I think the main principle for me here actually is that Auburn is going to lose a third game somewhere, and it might not be Bama. It might not be Bama because well, they're not going to lose to South Carolina. Wh- because what would be more chaotic than <laughs> Bo Nix beating Bama once? Oh, my God. <laughs> it would be Bo Nix beating Alabama twice. But he's got to lose some, you know, games you can't lose to get to that point. Like, Auburn has to be out of the conversation to beat Bama. And I think they're still too far in the conversation this year. Uh, so I think a and going to move them out a little bit. But, no, in all seriousness, I love this A&M defense. Um, and I think they're going to really put the clamps on Auburn's offense. Well, hmm, I'm still trying to think. I'm trying to. I'm trying to consider it. So, I I may say, okay. Here's here's the thing. A and M. Ah ah. Okay okay okay. Okay, actually, I'm going to change it to A&M, and here's the reason why I'm changing it to A&M. They've had a week off to rest. And because they've had a week off to rest, their last two games they won 79-28 to combined. So that's the reason why I'm shifting, because they've had a week to sit and prep for this Auburn team. Auburn had to go up against a high-octane, high-powered Ole Miss team and won, but shut them down, tired themselves out, and now they have to go on the road to Texas. So I guess that's my that's my argument to, to change that. But all right, next up next up should be a game that I don't think should take a whole lot of debate. To be totally honest with you, and that is LSU gets Alabama. So uh, this one is Bama. <laughs> but how funny would it be if the fighting coach O's, uh, the lame duck coach, went into Tuscaloosa um, and beat Alabama? Uh, that would be just electric, but it's it's very fun to think about, and it's not going to happen. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> Alabama it's, by it's, one million and a half points. This is not going to happen. But the next game up is one uh, that may have been our shortest pick we've ever done. But uh, next up is then a uh, UT up against Iowa State. It's in Ames, and I, I don't know. This this one is looking like another one of those games that just they. Toss up. I just I, I think this may be a toss up game, and I know I, I told you last not time. I'll be betting on this football game. I at the will end not of the day, be betting on this football game. I was tempted to go with Texas, but the only reason I didn't is because the spread on this game was a lot heavier than I expected, which is Iowa State by six and a half. And that was heavier than I thought because I think we all know that they both these offenses are good, but we also both know that Texas defense is significantly Texas worse than Iowa State's. Is horrendous. It's, it's got and off. They're really bad against the run in particular, yep. and that's yeah. going to be the difference. Is Brees Hall is going to run all over them? So I got Iowa State in this one too. Yeah, their defense in terms of yardage is half as good as Iowa State's <laughs> against the run. Half, yeah. and we get both these teams are going to be like this is going to be a grounded out all day kind of game and actually a pretty fun game to showcase two of the best running backs in the conference uh, probably the two best running backs in the conference and uh maybe zach evans up there but yeah maybe but and next up we have a game that i just picked because i wanted to shout this team out again you can also tell our slate's getting kind of thin but 
Next up, we have the UTSA Roadrunners against UTEP. And now I picked this one partially because I simply wanted to get UTSA in here, but also because UTEP's actually not bad. They're six and two, three and one in the Conference USA. UTEP's really not that bad. But if it goes to show you how good UTSA has been, they're still favored by 11 points on the road. And this is against an actually pretty decent Conference USA team. And they are supposed to slaughter them. Um, UTSA's offense has been unbelievably good this season. They're averaging 40 points a game. They have not slowed down at all. They've only had one close call against UNLV, and that was over a month ago. And UTSA is coming, or sorry, UTEP is coming off a pretty disappointing loss. UTEP actually should be 7 1 coming into this. They choked away the FAU game right at the end. So this actually should have been a really huge matchup, but um, is only a little bit less because of that. But um, yeah, I obviously have UTSA winning in this game, but I think this could be kind of fun to watch. It's also at 10 15, <laughs> very, very late game Eastern time. So um, real late night, but could be a lot of fun. Well, I'm pretty sure UTEP is on mountain time. If I'm not wrong, they should be. Yeah. I think El they Paso are. should be on mountain time there. Um, I think this is actually going to be a pretty interesting one. I think the spread is right around the right number uh, because UTEP, what they do well is they throw the football. Now their quarterback uh, is a little turnover prone, but they throw the football at a pretty consistent number. And that's the one thing that UTSA is not great at is defending against the pass. That being said, they're going to be a one dimensional offense because you're not going to be able to run it on UTSA Um, And UTSA is going to control this game start to finish. I think much like the Louisiana Tech game, though it may not be quite as much of a blowout. And uh, next up, we can move on to one of my favorite sections, and that is the Pac-12 after dark pick, which is always a lot of fun. And we usually kind of do okay-ish on this just because it's usually two irrelevant Pac-12 teams that play late at night, which is always fun. And this year, it's uh, or this week, is going to be USC versus Arizona State, two teams I was somewhat confident about that have both wildly disappointed me this season. Um, USC, obviously, more than Arizona State, with USC being painfully average and Arizona State being painfully okay. And Arizona State's favored by a good chunk in this game, and I think I'm going to ride with that. It's going to be 90 degrees at 1030 at night in November, nothing like an Arizona football game, but – well, I mean the state, not the team – uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty decently confident in Arizona State to close this one out. Uh, USC's defense is pretty considerably worse. Um, this past defense has actually been really solid by Arizona State this season, allowing under 200 yards a game, which is pretty uncommon. So um, their past defense has been really good. Obviously, USC focuses much heavier in the past. Drake London is out for the rest of the season. I figured you saw that. So um, their top wide receiver option is gone. So I'm feeling pretty confident about Arizona State here. Even though they've lost two in a row, I'm pretty confident about them winning this game because, frankly, USC lost two in a row and then beat Arizona by one touchdown, which Arizona barely even counts as a Power 5 team. Yeah, I'm going with Arizona State. Uh, USC, Drake London now out for the rest of the season. This team is cooked. Uh, They are washed. And the Sun Devils are going to roll in this one. I got Arizona State as well. But the next, next game, up we have oh, – you, oh. you can go ahead. Take this one. Yeah. Take this one. Yeah, I'll I take it away. Take the next game on our slate, Tennessee versus Kentucky. Kentucky sitting at number 18. I've actually got Tennessee in this one, um, mostly because I think they're going to be able to put up more explosive plays than Kentucky, and this one's going to be more of a barn burner than you would think it will. 
Uh, Kentucky's sort of on the ropes. They're trying to save their season at this point after losing to Mississippi State um, after getting demolished by Kentucky. I mean, by, by Georgia. Um, this team is on the ropes, and I don't think this Tennessee team is a team you want to play when you're on the ropes because we saw what happened to Ole Miss. They were a Hendon Hooker injury uh, in that game away from probably losing that game because Tennessee was driving at the last possible moment. Um, I, it's going to be a wacky one. This one's not might not be fun to watch at some points, uh, but I think Tennessee gets the job done. I actually agreed with this pick, and I picked Tennessee before I saw your answer, which was kind of funny because I, I expected you to probably pick Tennessee, but I still was genuinely rolling with them before I even heard what you were going to do. And, and the reason why is because Kentucky has completely fallen apart in their last couple of games, like you said. And I get that Georgia is not a great test for that, given that it's Georgia and they're good. But they then played Mississippi State and lost pretty soundly. Now, the one piece of information on this that I feel decently confident about, one big piece here is that it is at Kentucky. And I think that does help because the old, because Kentucky's undefeated at home. And I think that might help. Now, we know that Tennessee's offense is significantly better than Kentucky's. We know that Tennessee's defense is worse than Kentucky's. So it's going to be what kind of options you're going to have here, what is going to be your plan. And so, I don't know, I think this could be a lot of fun. Like you said, this could be a lot of sort of crazy football. But even crazier, the spread here is even across the board, at least on ESPN, is so far really, really tight. So and I think because started, of that. It started at three and a half uh, with Kentucky as the favorite. So I don't know what to tell you. A lot of people like Tennessee in this game, but I have a feeling some of the big money might start to come down on Kentucky. Uh, this is one to watch just as far as the line has moved so much. It's one to watch as far as, how much money the public is putting in, how much money total um, is coming in on which teams um, and really use that to make your bet. Cause I think this is a really juicy spot uh, to kind of beat Vegas here. Um, if you can get access to some of those numbers. Well, next up we have a game that could be a uh, frankly pretty painful one for us this Saturday. And that is the TCU Horn Frogs going up against the dreaded Baylor bears and the annual re-rivalry, and oh boy, yeah, this one I'm going with Baylor pretty decently on, and only because I just don't trust TCU. Now, I'm aware this is the first game without Gary, and I get that, and do I want TCU to win? God, yes, absolutely yes, I would adore that. That would be awesome if we delivered Baylor a huge blow like that and give ourselves another slight shot at bull eligibility that I, I know I'm kidding myself, but um, – I mean, again, bowl eligibility is not impossible for TCU because if you can get past Baylor, you still have Kansas on your schedule, and then you only got to get one more game. So uh, it, it isn't impossible. It is not impossible. But um, obviously your odds are pretty bad there. But it's still, TCU's defense has just been so, so, so bad. And Baylor's offense has actually looked pretty good with a very balanced rushing and passing attack. They've been very, very across the board. Um with both those sides, they average 37 points a game, which is six points more than TCU does. And they uh, points allowed has been 19 compared to TCU's 31 and a half. TCU actually averages 31 and a half and average allowed 31 and a half, which is one of the few teams in the country to have an exact even number for both total yards. We know we talk about TCU's defense at nauseum, how terrible it is. Baylor's defense isn't particularly great, but it's much better. I, I just don't 
I don't know. The 2019 game was one TCU should have won a thousand times. Duggan was in. I know we I know we've talked about that game when it happened a couple of years ago, but I just I want TCU desperately to win this game. I just don't see how they do. I am gonna go out on a limb here. This is not something you usually say after a legend leaves. I think there is a post uh, Patterson bump here. I, I want to see it. Trust me. I'm, I want to see it. I just don't know if it'll happen, but I want to see it. <laughs> However, there are reports that TCU assistants have been going over Gary Patterson's game plan for Baylor with him <laughs> this week. <laughs> That's a legitimately reported oh, thing. God. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. Fire your coach only to go directly back to his exact game plan. <laughs> yeah, no. The, Ooh, okay. <laughs> Gary Patterson is just a surrogate coach that is allowed to like go shop himself to other jobs at this point. I do think TCU gets this game though. I think it's at home. Um, I think they can catch Baylor napping uh, in this game. I, I I do like the frogs in this one. I think Duggan finally gets him one against Baylor. Again, I sure hope it happens. But next up, we're going to have Georgia Tech up against Miami. What a way to end and, the pod. Which what a is way absolutely, to end the pod. Which, again, I, I apologize that we have to, to keep doing this, but I am adamant about including Tech games. But Georgia Tech's up next. Now, this game is between two teams that are really freaking bad at football. I'm not going to lie to you. Both these teams are very bad at football. But unlike Georgia Tech, Miami has been winning recently, and that's why I'm going with Miami. They're favored by 10 in this game. They're back at home. They've won two games in a row against actually arguably two of the top three teams in the ACC, which is mind-blowing. They beat both NC State and Pitt, one of those on the road, which is, again, mind-blowing and remarkable, really, um, especially if you're losing to UVA and UNC in the first two. So I, I got I to gotta give it to them. Miami's won two solid games, and Georgia Tech's lost two pretty bad games in a row. So, I, I mean, I don't think this is much of a shocking pick here. I think Miami's going to win pretty cleanly. Yeah, I got Miami here too. Uh, Miami somehow kind of coming back on the year. Georgia Tech really, really reeling as a squad. Uh, these are and, two uh, squads that are going in two different directions, and I got Miami. Did want to mention one kind of obscure detail that kind of is ironic because I know I just said about T- TCU being one of the few teams in the country to share exactly the same points allowed and points scored. Georgia Tech's actually another one of them. Georgia Tech with 28.5 points scored per game. 28 and a half points allowed per game. So fun fact there about your stats, but that is going to do it today for the blanket coverage podcast. Another excellent episode we have down for y'all with some college football action. This has been episode three thirteen, and hopefully we'll be back sometime this week to get an NFL pod for us. I know that's been a little difficult. Shout out to Gabe for helping out on my end with us, but um, hopefully we will get that in and we're going to try to start at some point to get some more basketball content in because we know we, haven't been able to get an NBA preview yet. We've both been so busy, but uh, college basketball, I know for sure I'm going to get something in, at least if it's something little. I'm also going to see if I can partner up with some other baseball guys here and get in a playoff recap for the MLB, um, just because I'd love to talk about that. I know that's not as much your fourth day there, but I think that'd be nice to get that content on here. So we're going to try to get one of those up. The MLB preview was a ton of fun to do, so I really want to go back and revisit that to um, look at our takes, how we did. Um which both of us actually picked the Astros to make the World Series and then lose. So we uh, we actually got it a decent amount right, not all the way. Uh, we both picked um, – I think he had Dodgers and I had uh, Giants, so we both were not quite right. I was too scared to pick the Braves, I'll be honest. But um, 
had it in my heart, though. But that's been a good episode. We will catch all of y'all back here soon, hopefully again this week. And Noah, you got anything else? That is it for me. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Please go check out Jack's winners and losers from this college football week for more uh, from this uh, sort of subject matter on gtdsports.com. And make sure you check out GTD Sports' other podcast. Got to go on uh, GTD's uh, the GTD flagship podcast uh, for their 50th anniversary or 50th anniversary 50th episode uh, last 50 years 50th, of podcasting 50th 50th anniversary of doing one episode every week so it's the weekly 50th anniversary for no they do multiple podcasts per week uh, they do great work really enjoyed getting to hop on with them make sure you go check out the other GTD sports podcasts. Um, and they threw out this idea of maybe doing some uh, collaborative podcasting uh, in the future, which I had a lot of fun with them. I think they would be a lot of fun on here. I think we'd be a lot of fun there. Uh, maybe we'll get something going with that uh, here in the not too distant future. But once again, thanks for listening. And for now, I am Noah Parker. And I'm Jack Wallace. Peace, Peace out, out y'all. y'all.